Welcome to the Conscious Craft Podcast. I'm Alyssa. And I'm Hannah. And we are two health coaches on a mission to create a happier world, one thought, one breath, and one bite at a time. We are kicking stress to the curb, and we're not going to take life so seriously. No, and we'd love for you to join, because we're all about community, and we want you to be a part of ours. So head over to the show notes and follow us on social media. We'd love to connect. We are so excited to be back on track with you guys. We are back on track, damn it. We... Took a little, little snooze from the podcasting for a hot minute. We just took a three-month siesta. Exactly. Sometimes you need a 10-minute siesta. Sometimes you need a three-month siesta. Hibernation is part of life. Exactly. You do you. But we're back. We're back. And we are so excited. We cannot wait for you guys to hear our guest on today's podcast. God dang it, she's good. She's so good. Uh-huh. Dr. Nicole LaPera, otherwise known as the holistic psychologist. Woo! She is just a wealth of knowledge. She is such a wealth of knowledge. And the way that she describes everything is in bite-sized chunks to make it extremely manageable to understand. Yep. I found her on Instagram, and she's she is teaching... All these different modalities that she talks about in a super easy to understand way, and people are just grabbing by the mouthful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could grab things with your mouth. Yeah, sure. Yep. Well, that's what they're doing. <laughs> grabbing by the mouthful. One of the first steps that she talks about in healing is to have awareness, which can start with a mindfulness practice, which is something that. You guys have heard us talk about a lot and something we feel so strongly about. So we loved having that conversation with her today. Yes. And she says that mindfulness is one of the first steps because it's awareness. And if you can start to become aware of how you talk to yourself, the beliefs that you have, believe it or not, we're running on childhood beliefs, otherwise known as programs, as she describes it. So we're just a bunch of babies, really. Babies just running on these programs that we've downloaded when we were kids. And guess what? As you grow, sometimes you don't like the programs that you had when you were a kid. And the cool part is, one of the big things we talk about today is that you have the power to change that program. Yes, you do. Absolutely. But the first step is awareness. Awareness. The next step that she talks about in her practice, one of the First or second things that she addresses is nutrition. Believe it or not, your gut is connected to your brain. Mm -hmm. Did you know that? So it's important what you grab by the mouthful. Mm. (laughs) Circling back around. I like it. You like that circle? I like it. Circle back. (laughs) But there is such a huge connection between the gut and the brain, which we love talking about and we loved hearing her point of view in that symptoms or diagnoses of depression, anxiety can actually be misdiagnosed due to an imbalance in the gut. So it's really awesome to hear her talk about that. I mean, I just can't wait to listen to this again. Can you? I I can't. I can't. Yeah. Let's play it. Let's let's do it. All right. We're getting into it. All right, definitely go check her Instagram out. Highly, highly suggested. She's pumping out content on a regular basis to teach you these modalities, mostly just to tell you, hey, you're in control of your little silly life. You are. You You are. absolutely are. And you might, in your head right now, be thinking of 8 to 10 to 20 different excuses, maybe, why you're not. And we're here to tell you. We're shutting it down. Shut that shit down. Shut that shit down and get to work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can do it. You want to hear how? How? Well, let's listen and find out. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All righty. Well, tune in. Enjoy this one. Please go follow us on social media at The Conscious Craft. Screenshot this episode if you got anything out of it and repost it. Come on, throw us a bone here. And maybe next time we'll take a little bit of a shorter siesta. Yes, we will. All right, let's dive in. Mm-hmm.
wanted to take a minute to give a shout out to our show sponsor, which is us. Yep, we're sponsored by our own blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> we are talking about our CBD company that we just started called Calm by Wellness Co. Yes, so CBD happens to just be another tool in the toolbox to help you reduce stress. So it's only natural that we're starting a CBD company, right? Right. And speaking of natural, we make sure that we use all of the finest, most natural ingredients so that what you're putting into your body is as clean as can be to be as stress-free. Ooh, I love it. So use code CONSCIOUSLYCALM at checkout and take 10% off your order. Reduce stress, sleep better, feel better, support your sisters out. So give the gift of health this holiday season. Maybe you want to put a little CBD in as a stocking stuffer. Stocking stuffer. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's one of your gifts for your eight days of Hanukkah. Don't forget about Kwanzaa. Whatever holiday it is that you are celebrating out there, be sure to check us out at calmbywellness.co. And follow us on social media at calmbywellness.co. Happy holidays, y'all. Today we are so excited that we have the holistic psychologist joining us. Dr. Nicole, you are helping so many people left and right, and we are so grateful that you are here with us. I so appreciate you guys saying that. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So I found you on Instagram of all places. Um, didn't think I'd find a, a psychologist on Instagram mm -hmm. pumping out so much awesome information, but you are so consistent with your information and I value it so much. Have you noticed that you've been able to really connect with people through social media? Oh gosh. Yeah. It's actually funny because truth be told when social media or, or when the, um, I guess Facebook, Instagram era started to really start it, originate it. I was a little bit skeptical of it, to be honest. I wasn't sure what it was about. I was in the mindset that it was a distraction, all of that. But since I started to really leverage it and see the value that it has, not only in, I think, connecting people from all over, um, but really just as a platform for, for a that I made, the community that I made. I mean, yeah, I, I put out the information, but I really, truly am so grateful for the people that are showing up because nothing warms my heart more than the conversations that are kind of happening behind the scenes between, you know, community members. I just think it's, it's so amazing and such a cool, a cool thing. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you're building an amazing community, which you call the self healers, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's so funny. Awesome. I came up with that. I think randomly one day, you know, I kind of hashtag self healers and I truly, I believe in that concept, but I didn't kind of marry that concept together and it kind of took on and took running. So that's kind of what I, I refer to, to everyone as is because I truly believe in every human individual's inherent ability to, to heal themselves. So it feels like a very appropriate um, kind of designation for, for all the members. It is appropriate and it's also such a great reminder for all of your members of your community. Hey, I, I can do this myself too, you know? We have support of everyone around us, but you're absolutely right that you can heal yourself in so many different ways and you just need the tools and the knowledge to be able to get there. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So how did you get into psychology in the first place? And then what made you shift um, more towards a holistic approach? Yeah, absolutely. So I am one of those kind of aberrations, those people who for whatever reason, I, I kind of was always going to be a psychologist. Um, I don't, you know, I can look into my childhood and I do think there are you know, kind of uh, factors at play there, you know, in terms of the family unit that I was born into, my kind of personality characteristics, I think that geared me up for that. But as long as I can remember, I was very fascinated by the mind. Um, I was always kind of on that career path. I, you know, entered college as a declared psychology major. I sought out all opportunities to Start doing the work um, after college. It was kind of you know segued into grad school and into my doctorate and then into the private practice model that I was you know always I think interested in. So the there wasn't I think like a pivotal moment. It just kind of always was was my path um, along the way. 
So that's, I think, kind of what took me into, you know, psychology as a whole. Um, I started practicing, you know, as soon as I can within the program. And I started to realize that while I was learning a lot in terms of the methods, you know, the, the treatment-based, you know, evidence-based treatment, if you will, in school, uh, I started to have my own kind of personal experiences and struggles, if you will, with my own anxiety that I've had as well for as long as I can remember. Um, and I started to look into kind of other concepts and mindfulness is the hugest first one that kind of I discovered in my early 20s um, at a time where I, my anxiety was really at a peak. I was in a program. Um, so once I kind of put that in my back pocket as my own tool for my own anxiety um, reduction, you know, or management, I should say, uh, I started to incorporate that into my treatment. So I kind of always use the more kind of eclectic approach, if you will, um, than I was learning in school. So I became comfortable with kind of incorporating these outside things that I was personally living the helpfulness of it. And I thought that my, you know, my patients could as well. Um, so I, you know, I moved to Philadelphia. I opened up my practice. I was marrying along and um, I had my own, I think what I would call a health crisis or a, or a, a anxiety, you know, or a health induced anxiety crisis. My anxiety started to creep back in. Um, physically, I started to feel not safe. Um, I was struggling with a lot of kind of symptoms that I think a lot of us have now, and like as I did myself, kind of just term life or stress or this is just how it is. You know, yeah. I entered my 30s at this point. I was like, okay, this is just what life is now. Right. Um, I had a few kind of critical things happen to me though, where I, yeah, you just, you think that's what's normal. Right. So what had happened was I actually fainted on two occasions. Um, that was really scary. I never fainted before. I didn't know what was going on. Um, I was in a session with a patient as well. And I was in the middle, literally in the middle of the thought. And I had this, I call it like a brain thing that happened. Cause that's literally what it felt like. Right. I mean, yeah. we all, I think we're talking, maybe we get distracted, maybe we go off course and we forget what we're saying per se, but this moment in this session, it just felt different. Like I literally, my brain went this blank that I've never felt it go. Um, I struggled with what to say next. It was, it was a very weird, bizarre experience, but it was an experience I think that, that really turned my focus onto the question of, wait a minute, is there something now physical, as well as the, there was the underlying or the bubbling up, I should say, of my anxiety as well. So yes, anxiety happens, but these kind of physical, right, hitting, yeah. thinking, not knowing what I was saying, that to me, I think really alerted me to the question of, is there something physical now? Wrong, you know, wrong. Mm -hmm. So I dove into research and there are so many theories out there. And I really started to look at um, what my nutritional world looked like at that time. Um, I realized that I was, you know, not getting a lot of, I was on a vegetarian diet, borderline vegan at times. Um, I was starting to realize or at least explore the possibility that from a physiological perspective that my body was actually struggling in ways that I you know, did not realize. So oh, I went on my own self-healing journey. I changed not only the nutritional aspects of my lifestyle, but my lifestyle behaviors. You know, I added, you know, uh, movement into my day. I added more consistent mindfulness, more consistent meditation, more consistent prep work. I pretty much up. up upheavaled my, my life in mm -hmm. a lot of ways and I started to get better. Um, so at that point I realized, okay, there's some validity here. I have the idea that a lot of people that I'm working with might be struggling in the same ways. And I think that the, the realization became for myself included that here I am as a person who's very I mindfulness, which I think, and I still use, I think it's such an incredible tool, but yet I still felt stuck. Right. So I started to connect these pieces and I thought, wait a minute, is this the case? Because at, at the same time, at this point, I, I've been working with a lot of patients for, for years, right? And I, I was starting to feel their frustration and also being stuck. Yeah. So I put the pieces together and I started to realize that we can't, as practitioners or as humans who want to get better, we can't just rely on kind of one way that if we don't take into consideration the holistic approach, right, the body piece of things, that I think not only does sometimes healing the body um, result in a complete minimization of these symptoms that are bringing people in my office, not all the time, though, but healing the body is a integral part. So at that point, I really started to evolve my treatment then and bring in the lifestyle, the nutritional, the 
kind of all of those components in. And at that point, I realized that, you know, kind of bringing it to a larger platform was important because I think that there's a lot of misinformation out there, a lot of limited information, not only for us as humans, like I said, that we can have the capacity to self-heal and I, I've done it myself, but as practitioners too. Absolutely. A lot of us, as you know, my colleagues, I think are very limited in their tools and I wanted to change that. Oh, that's so that's so commendable. I love that so much, especially I've had crazy anxiety my whole life too. And that was a big part of why I went on this journey myself. And once you go through it and you experience it for yourself, you're able to talk about it so much more. So I'm sure you have clients that can connect with you on even such a deeper level because you've been through this experience and now you use all of these different tools to help yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you hit such. Absolutely. I think what you're speaking to is being able to. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, well, I think the, the ability to relate to someone is connecting on that deepest level. And I agree with you. I think when you have that tool, not only do I have maybe some more practical experience because I've been through it, so I know what's hard. Right. right. And I can, I think, address those things in a different way than just theoretically or, you know, by a textbook, knowing what to say or do. I think that there's so such an inherent value in doing it yourself. But to speak to your point, and then the relation, the relatability and the relationship that can develop because for I sure. did. For sure. A hundred percent. And the fact that you're using all of these modalities and have come to the realization in your own life that it's not a one fixed thing, not one solution for most people is going to fix the whole issue. So it's pretty incredible that you experience that yourself, even with mindfulness. That was really interesting. So you have used mindfulness, you said pretty much your entire career, but it wasn't a cure-all for you or wasn't fixing Mm -hmm. the whole issue. Would you say that that's a good place for people Mm -hmm. to start or where should people start? Mm -hmm. I think mindfulness is an integral part of change, period. And I say that because, you know, anyone who follows me is very well aware on about this subconscious part of our brain. Yes. Essentially what that is, is because as a human, right, we literally, I don't even mean like, oh, we're busy, right? I mean, how do I work my human body? How do I walk it to work? How do I get in a car, right? All of these things are things that we have to learn, right? And we right. have to store and we have to do on a daily basis. In addition to all of these complex cognitive things that we can do and, you know, we know math and we know this and that, right, et cetera. So I say all that to say that being a human requires a lot. We can't be showing up and relearning and reminding ourselves all of these, you know, kind of ways or these programs in a sense on a daily basis. We would be completely overwhelmed. So what we have is we have this subconscious part of our brain that in a sense, I, I, I talk about it, it almost makes you laugh. It's, it's like I'm talking about like robots like or computers, right? But it is. We, we have programs, right? That we store back there so that we can do these things efficiently on a daily basis and not harm ourselves, right? And do And thinking about them all the time. And then we can do other things as well. We free up then this frontal lobe part of our brain, which is a part of our brain that literally makes us human. This is the part of our brain that no other species has. And this allows us to do the more higher order things that humans can do that are different from animals. I know there are some very intelligent animals, but they don't have this lobe of their brain. We can also think about thought. We can observe thought in a way that no other species can, right? Mm -hmm. So the reason why mindfulness is a huge, important, first inherent step in anything that we change is because likely what we want to change are these patterns, right, that aren't working, are these programs. And if we're not paying attention, if our attention isn't there, our program is running, right? Just think about it. When you're mindlessly driving to work, you don't realize how you got to work. I mean, this is the easiest example, but it's true, right? Mm-hmm. Why is that? If you're mindless about it, but you still got there, it's because you're running on this program. So if we want to change this program, which is any change behavior, right, whether it's I want to self-heal or whether it's I want to learn something new, we need that frontal lobe. And that's what mindfulness teaches us to, to almost tune into, right, to step out of this autopilot and to be – I mean, when you hear mindfulness, one thing you always hear is presence, right? Be present to the now. And that – is shifting into spray. So now you can say, you know what, I'm not going to do that old habit or I'm not going to do it in that way. I'm going to choose to do it in a different way. So I always say with our, with mindfulness comes choice. So 
while I think, yes, it was a huge, important, you know, piece of my work and always has been and now always for sure will be, if you have a body, this is where the body and the holistic piece comes in, if you have a body that for very real physiological, hormonal reasons, you know, is, is imbalanced, I think sometimes that prevents us from, you know, mindfulness being enough, ultimately. But yes, it's a huge, it's, it's, it's an important piece. So anyone out there who, you know, has heard of mindfulness, hasn't heard of mindfulness, you know, should hear of mindfulness. And as I will say with any new behavior, starting small, yeah. right? Because I think that mindfulness or meditation or formal meditation is a lot of us think of it, right? Sitting on a cushion meditating is really overwhelming for a lot of people and can yes. be very intimidating. So any way that we can start to be more present to our daily life in a manageable way that we can feel like we can do consistently is the speak to your point, a huge important first step. Because like I said, that's the key then. Once we develop that ability, now we have the keys for real change. Now we have choice. Right, right. And mindfulness also is just awareness. So once you start to practice mindfulness, then you can become aware of your patterns and your programs. And I know you're a fan of uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza. And he says, as soon as you become present, the program, and yeah. I, I love him to it. <laughs> he says, as soon as you're present, you're not being run by the program. You're separate from the program and you're able to step away and witness the program and the patterning. And then you can say, hey, wait a second, something's off here. This isn't how I want to live my life or I'm not feeling right in this area. Mm-hmm. Then you're able to make the change or at least step that direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. I think that's, uh, you know, the awareness, because like I said, and you're, you're bringing up the, the, the next step of it, right? Not only do we have to be present and choice, but before we even know what we're choosing, we have to know what's there. And yeah. so many of us sometimes I don't think are aware of, of the extent of our internal world and are aware that there are patterns in our internal world, right? Things aren't coincidental, right? The reason I react this way to these certain circumstances, because there's a pattern there. So I think, you know, when we have the awareness, not only can we step away from the program and make a different choice, but we can see what that program is. Chances are, if we trace it back, we can figure out where it came from. And then I think we can have the understanding of what new program would be more helpful to get us, you know, meeting our goals and feeling more fulfilled and all of that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So is that how you typically start off with new patients? Like what does a session look like for you? Do you generally go into awareness first and then take it from there? Yeah. So, I mean, I will always address, address the nutritional piece and awareness. I think those are the two, the two kind of big things. So when I start working with someone, obviously I get an idea of where the stuff, where the issues are, where what life looks like now and what they hope life will to look like later. Um, I do kind of some questioning around to understand what their lifestyle looks like now in terms of nutrition, in terms of, like I said, other behaviors or activities or lack thereof, how to sleep. So I kind of do an overall assessment to see where I can kind of tweak things from that body balance perspective. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, right off the bat, what I'm hearing usually lends itself very easily into the conversation of, all right, we need to have mindfulness happening or meditation happening or breath work happening because there's usually... Because not only are they, those things helpful for the awareness piece and for change, but likely there's some overactivity going on in our um, nervous system. So we have to make it kind of quickly. We have two nervous systems. One of them, a lot of whoever's listening, you guys might be aware of, it's called the fight or flight nervous system. It's activated when we're stressed out, when we feel like there's a threat. Um, within that system, there's a lot. There's um, uh, the stress hormone cortisol that runs through our body pretty consistently. And then we have the opposing system. The two of them can't be turned on at the same time. And the other system is called the rest and digest system. It allows us to calm our bodies down. It allows all our physiological processes to, you know, kind of work a little fish, et cetera. And I bring these two, these two systems up because a lot of what I'll hear in the first session too that I work with someone is either some version of stress, anxiety, or overactivation of that fight or flight system. So the reason why not only is mindfulness important overall, but mindfulness, meditation, yoga, breath work, they are incredibly important because they start to give us the tool to activate that rest and digest system, which I think goes a long way in terms of balancing that body piece, but also giving us more resources to cope with life. 
So those are things that I will look at, kind of explore the tweaks that I can make in a first session and, you know, the suggestions that I ultimately would make. And again, like I said, small steps, because our goal is to have these behaviors integrated and the nutritional choices made a little differently in our daily life. So to speak to the point you said earlier, there's not a one size fits all. There's also not a one time fits all. And I'm always kind of the bearer of this bad news. This isn't easy. And I will, that's why I share my story and my struggles and they're still there, you know, and I still battle them often, but what it really is about is doing these things daily on a consistent basis. And that's what gives us then the long-term change. It's not, I do it once, I do it twice, I do it for a week and then I'm done. So I, I wanted that to be the case. It is not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's true. We're so used to being in this high paced, quick society where we just want, you know, the one pill that fix everything and, you know, have it really fast and instant. But the fact of the matter is it does take a lot of time and starting slow, starting small is going to be the best way to actually have mm -hmm. these habits become sustainable. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think it's interesting being in the, you know, kind of the helper, the therapist, you know, in the professional mode in that sense. Because I do think a lot of times people look to me in that way to give him, give them, right, the panacea for all, all right. or the, the insight, the thing that's going to really change things this time. And again, not only personal experience, but from my work, you know, my years of work now with people, that's not the case. What I can give you is the plan and support you and explore what's difficult in, in maintaining that. But again, the bottom line is to be a self-healer, if you will, it's you as individual doing these things on a very consistent basis. And like I said, I can provide support and insight and all that good stuff. But, you know, again, I think part of and my hope for the field, mental wellness field as a large becomes teaching a different model of what therapy looks like. Because I do think that there's a uh, kind of um, a aged out belief in a sense that someone can come in my room, sit on the infamous couch that I do have that's right behind the bell, right? And hear something or say something or, you know, do something that's going to get them better in this room. And I just, while there might be some amazing insight and some connection that can be made that might be a tool to move forward, that no one leaves cured, right? Mm -hmm. Cure right. happens or healing happens from these consistent daily behaviors. And again, I think that's something I'm hoping to reshape on a bigger global level in terms of, of the field itself. And you're doing it. A hundred percent. I like to think so. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's, I mean, it's showing in your social media. Alyssa and I were just talking about that. You just started that. I saw just recently right in the last few months and it's growing so fast and deservingly so you're putting out mm -hmm. such amazing content please go follow you on social media can you actually mm -hmm. now that we're talking about it say your handle so people can find you we'll also put it in the show notes but just so people will check you out right now yeah absolutely it's the dot ballistic dot psychologist and i'm very active on there right new stories. You get to kind of come with me through these things that I'm telling all of you to do. I do do them myself. Um, so you get to watch. I share my struggles, but I also try to put out some, some helpful information. Yeah, it's growing. I mean, I'm just, I'm floored and shocked. I made a little pack that I was hoping, praying, like if I could maybe get, you know, 10,000 followers by Christmas. And now it looks like I'm, I might be surpassing 25. I mean, I'm just blown away. And like I said, I think this speaks to the point of people's readiness, right? Yeah. Of the shifts that I think have naturally already started to bubble beneath the surface in terms of society at large. I think a lot of people are sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are, are hitting a lot of dead ends with conventional systems, whether it's medical, whether it's mental health, it's just not working. And I think a lot of people have gone on their own self-discoveries or just are tuning into that little intuitive part of themselves that knows it can be different. So I think part of the reason why I'm, I'm, it's growing so quickly, this community, is because people are just ready to hear it. And people want the tools and people want to change and people want to feel empowered that they can do this change. And I, I truly believe that I've lived that. So, you know, I wanted to, to meet and show up. But I think the reason why it's been so successful is, is to a large extent kind of where we are in society and, and people just being open and receptive and putting in the work themselves. Yeah. And having the knowledge too, you know, and by you being able to provide the knowledge for people, I think that's so helpful because we just need to know, you know, people need to know in order to make a change and if they don't know what they don't know. Um, so I loved what you were mm -hmm. saying before mm -hmm. about how you're, you're taking this different approach to psychology. And I think you have 
um, a different idea of mental illness too than what a lot of people typically know or that our society has taught us about mental illness. Um, and it's a huge passion of ours to help educate people on their mental health so much. So I, can we dive in a little bit on your definition of mental illness and go through some of some of the steps with you? Yeah, absolutely. And I kind of speak to the point of presenting information and I had this experience personally, there's a lot, right? So while I am of one opinion, you know, as well in the mix presenting it, part of the reason why I was so passionate about putting out what my opinion was, right, is because it, it can be really overwhelming. And that was part of my own personal experience when I started to realize I had to look at this stuff and I started to look at all these different theories about nutrition and what's helpful and what isn't. What it, I mean, the reason why I was vegetarian myself was because I thought it was for health-based reasons, right? So I, I put in research back when I shifted into the, like, you know, a non-meat lifestyle and I thought I knew and then I realized no. So people say all of this, there's so much information that part of my hope was to simplify it again, at least what my opinion was, you know, based in, in not only my experience, but some very real scientific sciences shifting involving. But I wanted to do so in a understandable and not as overwhelming way. Because I think that becomes our first resistance or barrier to change. It just feels like I don't know where to start. And I work with a lot of people who come to me saying, I don't know where to start. It's overwhelming. So that's part of the reason we're presenting information. So yeah. So like I said, one of the first things I will always address is nutrition, is lifestyle, because I'm a big believer in a lot of that which we're calling, you know, depressions and we're calling anxieties are really symptoms of our body being in balance. Mm -hmm. And what I mean when I say that the big ways that our body is in balance, we are starting to find out that, um, so first of all, I guess I should talk about why I'm talking about nutrition. So we used to be of this belief, the conventional belief is that our brain, mental illness results from when our brain is broken, right? We either don't have that genetic chip or our neurotransmitters are malfunctioning, right? And then that translates into our mood being off and the longer our mood's off and now we're entering into this diagnostic category, et cetera, et cetera. The treatment for all of this is either talking about it or medicating it, right? Fixing that problem in our brain. Research is showing two things. Um, one thing is that our brains aren't the house of these neurotransmitters like we thought they were. Our guts actually are, right? So that the things that we thought originate in the brain that we're treating in the brain aren't in the brain. 90, 80, the, the, it's a funny way I posted that. I was like, I thought it was 85, but the, there's a span of percentages, but anywhere from 70 to 90% of neurotransmitters, different types that affect our mood, you know, originate in the gut. So that's the first, I think, shift of, of science that is really important. Um, equally as important is the fact that we are moving away. We are actually having a new science, they call it develop and be kind of really acknowledged as more of the truth, which is epigenetics, right? So the mm -hmm. old the old theory used to be genetics, right? I have this faulty gene, right? Which might cause a faulty brain that I need to medicate away from, which doesn't work. Um, but once, I, whatever I'm born with, I'm stuck with, right? So if I have this gene at some point in my life, I'm gonna have this issue, whether it's physical or psychological, and I have no choice but just to treat it. Science has been emerging now for a good amount of time, but more people are now buying into the science of epigenetics, which says that's not the it says, yes, we're born with genetics. Of course we are. It's what made our body. But what, what affects the genetics more are our lifestyle choices, right? So what we say, what we do or don't do in terms of our lifestyle affects whether or not that gene itself is going to express itself. So that hypothetically, right, we are not hypothetically, realistically, we could be born with a thing, a genetic predisposition for something, whether it's, you know, heart disease or, you know, even though I don't, I have a whole theory on that's not actually the case either, but we can be born with a something that based on how we live either makes it the case or doesn't make it the case. So things that are implicated, like I said, because now we know that this originates in the gut, that means that the food we eat, right, is going to affect the way our guts function. And the way our guts function, now that we know this connection, right, is going to affect these neurotransmitters and is going to affect our brain. So a lot of times, like I was saying earlier, the symptoms that we see that we might be calling depression, the lack of energy, the, the low mood, the lack of motivation, anxiety, right, the wired and tired, the brain fog, the nervousness feeling. A lot of those things are because our, our, our biome, our, our stomachs, our guts are unbalanced. And that's translating, obviously, to our brains. 
but that's what's producing the symptoms. So it's so incredibly important to address that because my new conceptualization of mental illness, mental illness, if you will, I don't really like saying illness. I like working with the wellness, you know, kind of component, but ultimately what could, what we could be struggling with emotionally, psychologically, cognitively could be the risk of our, our food choices. So things like inflammation, gut damage, blood sugar, right? If those things aren't regulated, then we could be struggling, not with a psychological diagnostic diagnosis, if you will, right? But we could be struggling with a body imbalance. So to treat it, right? Like I said earlier, a lot of times we treat the lifestyle piece, the body piece of things, and those symptoms truly go away. So that's, that's kind of the, I think, the physiological new conceptualization of mental illness that I like to now. Um, and then there's a psychological piece, which I love talking about our programs, which comes from, again, that subconscious part of our brain that is that stored program of us, as, as crazy as that may seem, but of our, you know, paraphological ways of thinking, a feeling of being that got stored at a, at a long ago time, a long ago place when we had much less resources, when we were living in different environments of our home that, you know, aren't always all the positive that we now carry with us into adulthood and operate around that sadly get us the same results in our life that might not be working, that we might also be terming, right, mental illness or, or problem that might be bringing someone into my office, those kind of ways and pattern ways that they are stuck. So the, the, the body piece, right, is addressing the body balance, but, you know, uh, not just compassionate with the mind, the mind piece is a very huge part of it that I do think kind of prevents us sometimes or keeps us stuck or sick, right, or not functioning as optimally in that way. So I think that the new conceptualization as well of any kind of mental illness or however we want to define it is really exploring the, the role that those programs are playing. Absolutely. Amazing. And that just goes to show the importance of what you're doing because the average person who is struggling with depression, anxiety, they'll go see a psychologist, right? And they're explaining their experiences, but the average psychologist is not going to ask what they're eating, right? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't know. I mean, I'll be the first one. I never would have asked what someone was eating before I realized I had to ask what someone was eating. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's just so important to, to bring all of that to light because I don't, I don't think the knowledge about the fact that there is such a huge connection between the gut and the brain is as well known. So ever, anything we can do to help make people aware that, hey, the, the, your gut is called the second brain for a reason. <laughs> it's directly connected to the thoughts that are going on inside of your brain. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that with that choice, not only comes, I think, empowerment, right? Because I, I make my food choices, right? Mm -hmm. Most of us do. Mm -hmm. So now I have the control to change my food choices. However, with that comes the responsibility to make different choices about our food, mm -hmm. right? Because the big problematic players when we're talking about blood sugar regulation and, and inflammation are foods that are at A, everywhere, and B, really appealing on a lot of different levels for people, right? So the glutens, the sugars, the processed oils, the processed foods, right? The preservatives, all this stuff, which is, I was, I'm a big sugar person. I was raised on a lot of sugar. I have my own little sugar addiction that I battled and then still battle, you know, I've got a, a big handle on it. So realizing how prolific sugar is in our society was mind blowing for me. Oh, so when I, you know, the, like I said, while it's empowering to know that I have a choice to put this in my mouth and digest it and then get to either feel good or bad, also I think comes with the reality of the extent to which the foods that make us feel bad are the foods that we want to eat and are everywhere and are easy to eat. So on the other hand, I think it's we have to start making maybe the more harder, the harder decisions, whether or not they just take more efforts, you know, preparing our food sourcing our food in a different way right but and they're not the convenient foods all of the time right but they also might be the foods that we like that we now have to figure out a way to to remove from our diets mm -hmm. so i think that like i said yeah while there is so much power that comes with this knowledge i think that there's also a, a large amount of responsibility which is it's it's difficult and it, it poses a lot of I think, challenges for us for sure. And it's, you know, wanting to change, <laughs> being in that right. position where 
you actually want to make these harder choices, but better choices for not only your body, but your brain as well. Yeah, it's much easier to sit back and eat a donut. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways, there might even be messages because I can make an argument that that tell us to, whether it's advertising, right? then the whole, a lot of things, a lot of which I work with people early on too, is the school aspect, right? The fact that all of our friends and the way we socialize is out at bars, out at restaurants, right? Totally. I think that it does become very, very complicated. But to the speak to the point about change, I think sometimes it's, it becomes, um, I love, uh, I read a book, I think it was like a Tony Robbins book, and he kind of worded change as not necessarily, we change, it's not because we want to all of the time, it's because we feel we have to. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times for a lot of different reasons, change is resistant by a lot, resisted by a lot of people. Again, for a lot of different reasons, but because there's as uncomfortable as my life might be as it is, there's such a discomfort in the thought doing something different in the unknown of what that would be like. And again, like I said, in the reality of what that is like, that prevents people from feeling like they have to which is why it is, but there's a lot of truth in it with the devil that they know, with the subpar life, with the okayness. Exactly. You know, people I don't think they feel that shift of necessity um, to, to do the hard things on a consistent daily basis. Right. And well, sometimes it takes people to hit rock bottom and it, that's a necessary step in order mm -hmm. to really say, okay, I guess I'll stop eating the donuts and I need to look at something here because something's not working. Yeah, mm -hmm. and a lot of times it is just mm -hmm. that mental shift like you were talking about of instead of I have to do something, I have to make this change, you know, if you just even change that one word to I get to, yeah. I get to change as opposed to I have to change, then all of a sudden <laughs> it feels a hell of a lot different than it did before. Right, right. Mm -hmm. I love that too. Yeah, I experiment with that with like things I don't want to do. Mm -hmm. I find that as a really in empowering linguistic shift, right? I have to go do an errand feels a lot different than I get to go do that errand. Exactly. Again, it reframes. And I think reframes and language is, I I've done a lot of studying of neuro-linguistic programming, which does a lot of, a lot around the language we use, not only verbally, right? When we speak to someone, so we have a whole dialogue that lives up in our heads day in, day out, 24 hours a day. So if we tweak the language and speak to a point that we use, that we say to ourselves, whether or not we're, again, this is where that, that we sometimes don't even are aware that we say to ourselves, I think that can be hugely empowering, freeing, freeing you know, kind of uh, make things feel a lot more attainable. Oh, a hundred percent. And I think people very easily fall into victim consciousness. You know, why is this happening to me? How did I end up in this situation again? Versus, wait a second, you have the power to control your reality. You can make these decisions. These things aren't happening to you. So that's a whole other conversation in itself. But I think it's very empowering to know that you you have the choice and that you have lots of little choices that you can make throughout your day that can dictate your whole life. Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more and, it, and to extend it further, right? From already these two conversations together in a sense, not only do we have the choice about what we do, we have the again, what we think, what we're saying to ourselves. We have a choice yes. to shift our internal dialogue or and or to take control of our internal dialogue. And for me, in my own change process, there was nothing more empowering than making that shift and realizing that my mind and my thoughts and my programming does not control me, that I can change not only the way I think, the way I feel, the way I be, but do so on a, a, a consistent enough basis that I can literally change who I am. Mm -hmm. If that's not the most empowering piece of this, I don't know what is. So yeah, you know, my body looks different. I eat different. My life looks different. Those are, I, I agree with you. Those are choices that I now consistently make easy in a more easy way on a daily basis. But I think that there's just something so empowering when we realize that we are not controlled by our minds, that we control our minds. Yes. Absolutely. Free chance. Yes. <laughs> um, so you've talked a lot about our subconscious and the programs that we have in our brains. 
can you um, explore this a little bit more for somebody who's not familiar with this concept of having a program that's in your brain, either from childhood or that you've developed over the years? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So like I was saying earlier, we have this subconscious part of our brain, right, which which kind of stores things we need to store, store so that we can exist on a daily basis. So what it, it stores in there, too, are patterns, like I said earlier, of thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. So there's scientific evidence out there now that our brains, you know, kind of simplify it. We have, we have brain kind of wave patterns. You know, our brain is a living, moving organism. It talks to it. It talks different parts of it, right? Well, we sleep. Some of you might be aware of this. When we sleep, REM sleep is a, it's a brain wave pattern. It's literally our brain changing the way. It's like almost pulsing to kind of put it in an understandable way to bring us to sleep, right? So from birth, to age seven, our brains, again, because we are now a little human on this planet with a ridiculous amount of stimulation and a ridiculous amount to learn to be a human, right? <laughs> our brains are in this state. It's called theta. And what that means is we are literally like a sponge. I mean, the way if you look at a little baby with those eyes wide open, taking in the world around them, literally that's what doing. It's literally learning how to be a human being, right? So in, with that, it's observing its environment. It's seeing, you know, how the people around them are being, their caregiving environment, right? What thoughts are being expressed, what feelings are coming out, right? What are the pattern ways of behaving? And again, because we can't always be considering all of this amount of information at any time, our brain works to understand it in pattern ways. So it almost kind of comes up with protocols, right? And we can all, I think, identify with this, you know, having, you know, have the messages that, so for instance, I'll use myself for an example, right? I, I, I have a family that struggles with the way they deal with anger, right? So observing the way anger is dealt with in my family, which is my, one of the, I think the major, two ways, but the more effect that I carry is my mother, when she would become angry, she would withdraw, right? So mom would get mad and she wouldn't yell and scream at me. She just would not talk to me. Literally, she would, I, I, I joke and I had a name for the ice cream, right? She would not talk to me. She would just, you know, leave, literally. Mm -hmm. So I, that happened long enough, and it was painful, but I now stored some version of a program, right, that anger equals someone leaving, and then I internalized that. So when I became angry, I didn't kick or scream. I just withdrew, right? So that's kind of one example. I, I hope that kind of makes sense. But Absolutely. So now amplify that about all of life, right? So that's what I mean. So now as adults, Right. I had to really work to identify that tendency in myself to say, okay, Nicole, every time you're mad or every time your partner's mad or someone in your life is mad, doesn't mean that they're going to leave, right? That made me very conflict avoidant. But it also, when I'm mad, doesn't mean that I have to leave either. So I had to relearn literally a new program to run when I'm angry and or when my partner or my friend or whomever was angry that knew something different. Right. So that's what I'm talking about when I talk about programs. And again, we amplify that or we kind of multiply that across any any feeling, any circumstance, any kind of habitual way of being. And then we put all those programs together. And then that that is who now I am as a personality. Right. So now my personality was fixed in a lot of ways based on this accumulation of experience. And it's not just our caregiving environment, it's our school environment, it's society mm -hmm. at large, it's that traumatic thing that happened to us, right? I have now stored enough of these that I become the adult who's operating by those age-old programs, which while they were helpful, I do truly believe it. I believe that where these originated was in a very helpful, adaptive place. It was literally us doing the best that we could. But now I'm in my 30s, and I have more different choices to make. However, I'm running on these old programs that you know a 3-year-old, a 4-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 16-year-old made that aren't working. So that's kind of what I mean when I then said there are, we do, we empowerment, we have the tools, we can teach ourselves literally a new way of being. And that's what I mean when I said the kind of reprogramming part. So the programs are that which is again, laid down by experience that embodies literally all of us, individual ways we think, feel, believe, behave, but they can be shifted. Right. So what would, let's say if someone figures out, okay, I'm running this program, what is the first step or how, can you explain the process of reprogramming that program? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm actually releasing a, 
a reprogramming PDF this weekend. I'm so oh, excited for that, by the way. <laughs> go to my Instagram. Plug. Uh, if you go to my Instagram, my email list, that will come to your email this weekend. But so essentially what you'll be seeing in that is, I mean, first, you said the first step, which is to know, right? To take the time to sit with ourselves, sit with our thoughts. I give a tool, and you'll see this in the in the in the PDF guide to notice when we become emotionally reactive. Mm. To start to observe these things, because in our internal dialogues, in our pattern, I'm sure reactivity points of a daily life. Right? Am I always angry when this thing happens? Am I always sad when this type of thing happens? There are patterns. So the first step is always let's look at them. And like I said, it, it's surprising you know, or it might be surprising. A lot of people aren't tuned in into their thoughts don't take these moments and say wait a minute why what you know am i always mad at this one thing you know so i think the first step is that in of itself let's look let's spend some time and a lot of people don't do it for a lot of reasons they're scared of what's in there it's overwhelming what's in there but we have to look at what's in there because we have to know what's going on what the pattern is happening to us willy-nilly and everything nothing's you know everything's a coincidence I, I think that nothing's a coincidence that there's patterns there and there's knowledge there so that's the first step then right once you know what the problem is and we kind of have the narratives defined and when i release my guide there are kind of very kind of global you know narratives that a lot of us and i hear a lot of the themes of them come up that a lot of us struggle with you know kind of universally so once that's the case, once I know it's not working, now I have an idea of what needs to work, right? So then what we talk about are, you know, how do we change what our thought talk consciously? This isn't going to be what just happens now that I know, right? This means taking those moments to literally make the choice to say something different to myself, right? And that's when we think of or we hear the kind of, you know, mantras, a lot of people, that's what we mean, right? Having something, so if I say, you know, like, um, nobody, if I have a, a subconscious program that nobody likes me, I'm likely saying that to myself more than I realize. So what I have to start saying to myself is people like me, right? It's silly and simple as that. We have to literally start talking to ourselves differently in the form of mantras. And then we have to, and I think this is so, this is such a cool piece of it. And I think it gets a lot of a bad rock when we hear of uh, manifestations. I think a lot of people are very divided on what this is and is it just like woo-woo and you know, but there's something that's incredibly powerful and those of us who are Joe fans, you know, kind of touches on this too, something incredibly powerful about what a manifestation is. Because what a manifestation really is, right, is so say we're taking a moment to meditate. This is usually when we, you know, do this, when we're quiet. When, the reason why meditation, just to quickly say this, is helpful is because when we're meditating quietly by ourselves, we're at least decreasing all of the world, the external stimuli, right? So now we're just kind of alone with ourselves and our thoughts. Again, very scary, very overwhelming. I get it. But I think that's where we can decrease the distracting element of life, really. So bringing it back. So when we're sitting and we're meditating, right, what a manifestation is, is so now I'm thinking to use this example of people like me, right? So I'm saying that to myself, maybe I'm saying that to myself over a given day actively, which I suggest you do. But in this moment where I'm alone and I can tune into a feeling, what I'm going to do and what we mean when we say manifestation, I also wrote a blog. I wanted to, if anyone was interested, you can check out my, my blog on my website. It talks about manifestation. I'm not thinking, you know, I'm a, I'm a likable person. I'm feeling like what a likable person would feel in the world, right? So if I walk around in the world very small and timid because nobody likes me, now I might be imagining being full of people talking to me and being confident, whatever it is for me that a likable person feel that. Mm -hmm. And that's so powerful because the truth of the matter is that we are beings that are made of energy. Um, if, if you're interested in going into it, it's kind of quantum reality, quantum physics is we yes. are made of energy which means that we literally emit energy right because energy comes out of us our heart is a huge center of energy so when we are feeling something and activating that energy space right as this new person our brain does not know the difference between what is real if you will right in the outside world and what we're just imagining to be real so what's going to happen in that moment is literally we're going to be that person the confident down to a physiological level things are going to start shifting in our body so i was like oh wow we're now this way 
you know? And that, I think, because this is not liked in the world, to go out and talk to the barista, that's a huge leap. But when we start to kind of piece for these moments where we're embodying this feeling and sending out the energy of being this person and changing ourselves from the inside and literally making that, that step, which is also important. So the evolution becomes, right? I think different. I connect my thoughts with a different feeling. But now I have to start practicing being different in the world. I have to see, you know, kind of likely the re- one of the reasons why we're not that person to begin with is because we're scared of being that person. We're scared of what that, that person, what could happen to that person and what reaction that person might get, right? So I, I don't want to minimize that step because that's a huge step. We can't just hope to be someone different. I mean, we can. If we can, if we can really manifest, you know, we can really set ourselves alone. But at some point, we have to do that different thing you know, in the world. So now we have to go and start behaving differently and experiencing ourselves differently. I love that because that's really merging. And this is why I love Joe Dispenza and Bruce Lipton. I think you're also a Bruce Lipton fan. They're really merging Mm -hmm. the science and the woo-woo. So, you know, the whole art of manifestation previously used to be this kind of woo-woo out there. I don't know. (laughs) But now people are buying into it because yeah. they're merging the science with it and explaining, hey, this is just energetics and it, you have an energy field around you and you're changing the energy with your feelings. So your emotions are a huge GPS system for you. Mm-hmm. And whatever you're outputting is what you're going to receive back. So it only makes sense that if you sit with yourself you start to become aware of how you're actually feeling. And then you say, hey, there is something a little bit off kilter here. Let me go ahead and try to shift that, get into your heart space, which, as you mentioned, is way more powerful than your mind. I think they've done studies on that, that your heart, the inner, the magnetic field of your heart space is something mm-hmm. like a thousand times more powerful than your mind. So it just goes to show how much more powerful your feelings and emotions are. But if you make that decision to say, okay, I'm going to sit here and actually try to feel gratitude. The more you do it, the more you're, it's going to become easier to feel it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. What you're doing in that moment, right, is laying down a new pattern, way of thinking, feeling, behaving, right? So, again, I always talk about the neural networks. These neural networks of these programs get so solidified and so strong that, again, that, that's what becomes the running thing subconsciously. So the more we're able to activate something new – the greater the likelihood that that becomes that we continue to create something. Speak to the point. So I was, when I first um, fell upon the secret years ago now, probably when I first met, this is the woo-woo, right? You know, America's first introduction to this woo-woo world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the movie, right? I was like, okay. So I just sit here and think and a million dollars lands on my door. I was totally like, this is woo-woo. This isn't real. What the hell is this? Yeah. And so I think that it's become really cool and fascinating to watch with that concept, you know, without me not ignorantly not knowing where it was based on, you know, as evolution came, Bruce are starting to say, wait a minute, this is actually based in a science, you know, that that I think was really what I attribute my shift to. So, you know, again, the people out there who think stuff like this is woo-woo, I get it. I did too. You know, I, I, I did not, I always believed in the power of the mind. But I just didn't see how that translated, right? How I could think something and then literally the Ferrari comes, you know? Right. But maybe it's not as simple as that. It's not, it's not as simple as that, but I get the dynamics of it now in a very different way. And how I live it. Like I said, I live it. I've, I've, used mani- I've used mantras. I've used manifestations. I'm very aware of my energy and the different responses that I get in the world when my energy is low versus high or what have you. That's so powerful. And it's so powerful, I think, just to realize that there's there's so much behind everything. <laughs> you know, you can have a thought and opinion about something that comes out, but once you actually know what's really behind it, it's just it's such powerful information and powerful tools to be able to have. And I really like that you said to start with your mm-hmm. mantras, which is just a repeated phrase. So start to pay attention to how you're speaking to yourself. I think that's a first, a great first way to start to shift things in your life. Because mm-hmm. once you start to become aware of how you're talking to yourself, most people talk pretty shitty to themselves. Almost everyone, I think, has something shitty they say patterned at some point. Mm-hmm. 
and it's, it's like I said, it develops in many, from many different avenues, but you know, it might sound crazy to say like, you're talking to yourself and we all are, but a, like I said, some people don't even realize that they are talking to themselves and that what they're saying is going to very much affect them what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that's the first piece is, Hey, yes, we are all talking, but yeah, I think that all of us to some extent have something, I'm going to normalize this completely. We all have something shitty that we say to ourselves. Absolutely. That's it. You know, and again, it comes from all these critical developmental periods, you know, where it, it's hard to, I think, emotionally develop into a human. And before we know it, yes. you know, there is something, I think, a remnant of something not positive that we could, we could do without. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely is. Definitely. I just want to make the point for the subconscious programming or your, from your childhood programs. No one is safe in that right? (laughs) I know even for myself, I had amazing parents and amazing upbringing, but still I have programs that I have to run through. So I think even the smallest little thing from our childhood could program you. Small little trauma of one person saying something, a teacher saying something. So I just wanted, in wrapping this up, I want to invite everyone to, to look at that. And even if you think that you had, you know, this amazing upbringing, there's still something there to look at. 100%. I couldn't agree more. And again, I, I actually like to go further and redefine sometimes it even childhood a hurtful thing when I didn't know how else to, you know, make of it or I didn't know what to do about the feeling, right? Sometimes it's just even just small little things or small little lacks. And again, to speak to your point, parents, while they might be well-intentioned, they might be the greatest and have done the best they could, they are human too. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to even make mm-hmm. it send us back further, right? They are a human who was raised by a human with that human's program. Yeah. So even the well-intentioned best they could do and might be positive in a lot of ways, I'm not going to diminish that, yeah. maybe just had a remnant of something that, you know, isn't so helpful if we want to kind of massage that. So right. yeah, I think everyone out there, you know, these exist. They make up who you are. You use these daily. So you might as well take a look at because some of the reasons why you might be stuck might be in there right you might get a lot of insights in there as to why you keep getting that same result that's just not so ideal it's so it's so true and oh my gosh dr nicole thank you so much we could honestly just talk to you for hours about all of this because it's so fascinating um but we want to be mindful of your time too so just as we're, we're wrapping up here, is there one big takeaway that you want to give to all of these listeners and viewers for if you are feeling anxious, if you're feeling stressed, if you are interested in approaching a more holistic way to help with your mental health, um, what's, what's a big tech? takeaway that you would give away i mean there's so many takeaways in this in this um call to begin with but what's one big takeaway absolutely yeah and i think i I could speak about this forever and there's just so much there but i think my biggest takeaway will be a word that i think all three of us kept talking about and kind of referencing which is empowerment my biggest takeaway is that all this is is so much more in our control than we either know allow ourselves to know or you know whatever it might be there is just so much more control that we have and choices that we can make that are you know very attainable in a very real way and we have so much control not only change the way our life objectively looks but the way we feel about ourselves so anyone out there who's struggling with you know whether they're calling it depression or anxiety or struggling in any way stuck job sucks you know stuck in this relationship keep picking the wrong part whatever it is there are so much we can do to shift and change that. And we literally can have and can kind of direct in a very real way the life exactly as we want. And I said this too, it's coming from a, a person who's lived in and had a lot of work I had to do around my own limiting beliefs where I did not, I mean, the fact that I'm sitting here and literally believing this for my heart space and telling you and everyone else this right now, this, and I know that you obviously, none of you know me before, but this is, is to me my huge birth point here because I was a person who had a lot of self-limiting beliefs, whether it was from my physical, you know, functioning to my, I don't, a lot of weight. And again, even my feel being trained, there was just, this is just was, you just had anxiety. Right. So the fact that I fully believe this now is I think the biggest important takeaway that I, I want to not only be, you know, saying to you now, but just kind of spreading the word up because I now know different and I know different at my kind of like soul level 
that we get, we again can, can direct a life as we choose, no matter how difficult life was. And it's going to be one on different levels of barriers and hurdles, but we have choice. Absolutely. We do have the choice. That's mm-hmm. so powerful to recognize. Yes. And then mm-hmm. bringing it back to how we started this conversation, I think people are ready for this information and it's, it's showing in your social media, your growth is amazing. Again, deservingly so, but I think people are ready. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Mm-hmm. People are ready, showing up, doing the work, sharing, supporting. I mean, it's just, it's very, very cool thing. Very cool thing. Very cool. Amazing. So if someone wants to book a session with you, how can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. So the, I think the jump off point, I always put it out there. It's the, the easiest and I'm pretty sure everyone has Instagram at this point. I forgot what the stat was of how many billion people on Instagram, but that.holistic.psychologist.com to book. Um, I have a link in my bio. That's actually my website. It's where that my blog is housed. So I referenced a couple blog posts earlier. You guys can check it out. It's where my email list is too. So if you want to get that guide this weekend and I set out I send out weekly updates, other sort of PDFs, so you can get on the email list there as well. But you can also email me through the website um, requesting an appointment. I do have availability now. I do individual work. I have Skype. So, you know, I can connect with regardless of where you are. And we can start to, like we kind of talked about earlier, unpack what's going on in that more holistic way. So, yeah. The, the jump off point is the Instagram, but to, to, do the, to do the appointment set up, emailing me through the website is best. I try to kind of keep things organized the best I can in that way. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, thank you so, so much for your time and for all of these amazing nuggets of information that you shared with us today. Of course, of course. Thank you, guys. It was a great conversation. I guess that I can talk for more hours. So thank you. Yes. As could we, for sure. Absolutely. Hopefully we can have you on again. We would love to keep this conversation going. I'm here. I love talking about it. (laughs) All right. We will talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Dr. Nicole. All right. Have a good one, guys.